0: Good morning. Good morning. All right. Well, the, the kids will all sing again in a second here, but I wanted to welcome you and uh, just want to pray. You know, when we come into Christmas time, I think it's important for us to really consider Christmas is not uh, just a day. You know, we don't, we don't know the day that Jesus was born. We're, we're not sure, uh, but we celebrate this time, December 25th. It always comes around every year and, and it's a big thing, but really it's the advent of the Christ. Jesus came and he's coming again. And so I just want to pray that God would um, draw us into this time. And uh, even with the kids out here, just being careful that we're not so, f- so familiar with the story of Christ that it doesn't still impact us the way that uh, God would want us to uh, consider who he is and what he's done. So let's pray. Father, this morning, we want to thank you. Uh, Jesus, we know that you came. Um, you came in the form of a, a human being. Lord, you were born in a... A manger a feeding trough and God it was a messy place and yet you came into our world and God I pray that you would remind us of the incarnation the the blessing that Lord we're not trying to get up to where you are we're not trying to earn or attain or achieve uh, this standing Lord where we could climb up to you but you (coughs) came down to us and so this morning we want to celebrate that and we just want to thank you for what you have done Lord, we thank you for uh, the the kids, the singing. We pray, Lord, that all of it points to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, um, if you've been here the last couple of uh, Sundays, what we've been doing as we've been looking at the Advent and uh, we're looking at what Jesus has done, the first thing that we see is that he was a light in darkness. Do you remember that we were reading in John chapter 1 how the light came down from heaven And uh, the darkness uh, would not overcome it or or couldn't comprehend it. So Jesus came as light in the darkness. And everything that we live in now is a shadow of what's to come. So you may think that, hey, Christmas, you know, I want it to be like the Hallmark movie. You know, I have a broken relationship. And so this Christmas, it's supposed to be better. Or uh, I'm struggling, and and so I'm supposed to uh, find out that I, I got the job after all. Or the person that left me is supposed to come back to me or whatever those things are and sometimes we build christmas up as though christmas is that time to heal all wrongs and really we need to realize that it's jesus who came to set captives free so when jesus has come as light as we're listening to the kids sing and as we consider what jesus has done uh, right now we're in the shadowlands and we're not there yet with the lord and then last week we looked at how he made us his own You remember in John chapter 1 that Jesus came and um, there were those that rejected him. But Jesus came to make us his. Not just, um, you know, God is the God, the Father, uh, you know, we're all God's children generically in creation, but we're all God's children specifically in adoption as Jesus has adopted us as his own. And today what we are going to look at is how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so I want to begin by just reading a couple of scriptures before the kids sing again. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Matthew. And if you don't, in the back of your seats, there should be a Bible for you to follow along with. And um, if you don't have a Bible, then uh, let us know. We want to give you a Bible. So uh, it's important that when we open the word of God, we look to God's authority to find out who God is and what he says about himself. You know, there are biographies where people write a story about someone else, but I really like autobiographies because autobiographies get the inside scoop of what is going on. And when we read God's word, we see uh, what God is and, and who he is and what he's done. And in Matthew chapter one, begin with me in verse 18. I just want to read this portion. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem and the land of Judah are not least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over the young child, where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that as as these wise men, as the Magi traveled and they found the Christ, Lord, they risked reputation. They risked their finances. They risked their future. They risked their comfort to be able to come and to seek out the Christ. And then they gave gifts and they worshiped. And I pray, Lord, that today when we see Christ as he is, that we would be able to worship. I pray, Father, that it would not, it would not just be a story that we've heard, but, Lord, it would become truth in our own hearts. So, Lord, as we sing and worship you, we pray that you draw us close. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let's have the kids come back up and they're going to sing about this. All right, let's give a hand to the kids, good job, thanks you guys, and Michelle, thank you, (laughs) let's thank Michelle for uh, putting that together with the kids, all right, well welcome this morning. It's a blessing uh, for me to be able to teach this morning and to be able to share the gospel with each one of you, Um, and and also I wanted to say happy anniversary to Deanna and I, uh, to our 23rd. (laughs) So uh, 23 years ago, I was a teacher, I was uh, working full-time, and uh, we uh, got engaged on July 4th, and we had a decision to make because if we were going to go somewhere for a honeymoon, it was either going to be... During Christmas vacation or the next summer, we didn't want to wait till the next summer. So uh, I remember 23 years ago. If you're a teacher, you remember what that's like. You just try to get to Christmas break, and you're limping through because uh, you've gone September, October, November. You're tired. The kids are burned out, and just imagine on top of that, there's wedding planning, and uh, just the stress of that time, just trying to get ready for that, and and uh, yet, man, it was such a, a blessing. Still, I think my favorite Christmas ornament is the one that has a picture of us uh, when we're in Florida. We went on a cruise and uh, we took off, um, got in Florida on Christmas Day, went to Epcot Center and uh, Disney World and, and uh, just a, a blessing. So anyway, um, if you were a part of, uh, of our marriage fellowship last night, uh, we talked about how sometimes it's difficulties and trials that actually make your marriage stronger and your relationship stronger. And I think this morning as we look at our walk with God, we're going to see the same thing. You know, we're coming to the end of 2014, looking forward to 2015, and we realize that God is not a, a God that rescues us from all of our trials. He's a God that rescues us through all of our trials, that he's with us and that he's present. And really, that is the beauty of the incarnation. And when we consider the message this morning of the word becoming flesh, um, I want to base it not only in in Matthew, the the account that we just read of Jesus' birth, but Jesus coming in the form of a man. Now, one of the things that we read about just in that short scripture that we looked at was how Herod was the king. And I, I just consider the backdrop. Um, here's Herod, the king. He's, he's taken over all of that area of Israel. Um, he's looked at as a ruler, but he hears of another king that is coming. And that king is Jesus. So when the star appears and there's these magi, these wise men that hear about him, he wants to find out where Jesus is going to be born and where he is. And the reason is what? He wants to kill him. Because Jesus is a threat to the throne. And I really think this morning that it's important that we consider that when we hear about Jesus, there is no neutrality so this morning, if you're, if you're here thinking, you know, I just want to hear like a, a message, you know, and just kind of it's a tradition, it's more than that. In fact, I can't be neutral when I hear something about Jesus because if Jesus is real, if what he said is true, then there's something that I have to do within my heart and my mind. There's something that you have to do within your heart and mind to, to, to decide who is he in my life and am I going to be for him? Or am I going to maybe reject him? Because really to ignore him is is not being neutral. It's saying no to him. Now when we think about these wise men, they had this risk um, when they found out who the Christ was. And then they were warned that Herod is is going to come after them as well. They go their way and they risk their finances and reputation and security. And so turn with me to John chapter 1. And these are the scriptures we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks here in john chapter one and beginning in verse 14 we'll pick it up here it says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth now remember this that in the incarnation jesus um he came in the form of a man now we know that the word became flesh. It's one of the reasons why, in our decoration right here, uh, these are pages of, of scripture. Wendy had a, this Bible that was falling apart, and she said, "Hey, I'd love to do something up on, on the stage." And so she took these pages of scripture, and and you know, here's the Gospel of Mark, and the red letters I could see um, there. Those are the words of Jesus, but He didn't just give us His word; He actually came down in flesh to be among us, and the incarnation is a sign that that God is with us, Emmanuel. Now remember this, that for us as Christians, followers of Christ, he calls us to live out the incarnation. It's been said before that there are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. And most people never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So what they read is us. This last week, we had an opportunity on a, a day when it was raining to go out Uh, downtown and pass out umbrellas some people brought tarps uh, plastic we brought uh, some coffee we sang christmas carols and it was amazing how many people came by and they started up conversations just getting to pray with people getting to talk to people and realize this that the world doesn't really know jesus if they haven't come into that relationship with him but the way that they're going to come in contact with him is not only through his written word but his word that is written on our hearts. So that's the incarnation. Um, there's a, a group called Royal Family Kids Club. And one of the things that they do is they reach out to really uh, in, in all, of not only uh, Santa Cruz County, but beyond that in this Bay Area to foster kids. Kids that, you know, they're they're bouncing from home to home and they're struggling through things. And then you have these counselors that come, and some of you have been a, a part of that, and Dana and Paula have kind of organized that, and, and maybe you've been a part of those Royal Family Kids Clubs, and if you've ever been there on the last night, there's a night of prayer, uh, that we sing some songs, and then there's a, a Bible um, a account that is read and, and, and shared, and then the kids are able to come forward, and there's this campfire, And they write some things on a little piece of paper and they put it sometimes in a pine cone or they write it on a piece of wood and they throw it in the fire. And these kids don't have any background for the most part with with Christ. They They weren't raised in Christian homes for the most part. Some of them don't know anything about the gospel. But what you see is when they come up, they're just weeping because they feel something that they hadn't felt previously. What they feel is they feel the love of a human being that is willing to stop their life, sacrifice, take time, get to know them, sleep you know in, in their cabin at night, feed them, um, cry with them, comfort them. And these kids at such a young age, they just begin to weep. And, and I don't think there's anything more emotional than seeing that. And I believe that that's a picture of the incarnation. I believe it's a picture of not only Christ coming to us, But then when Christ dwells within our lives, then we show the love of Christ to others. And that's what God has called us to do. Not only to receive that love from him, but then to live that out in our relationship with others. And so in verse 14, such a key in the incarnation that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If God were outside of our existence, which there are what is called deists, and a deist is someone that believes in a higher power, they believe in God, uh, or they could be called theists. They believe in a God, but, but they don't really believe in Jesus personally. They don't believe that God has come down into the form of a, a man to suffer and to meet with us and to relate with us. And if God were just this cosmic being that, that created the world and set it going on its own, I think it would be really hard to approach him. I think that it would be difficult because we would think, God, you don't even know what I'm going through. You don't even understand. You haven't been through what I've been through. You can't relate to me. And I think that sometimes people see God on that level that God is so high. He's so removed from our experience that he can't relate to us. But Jesus came because he wanted to show us that he could relate to us. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, I thirst. Jesus was lonely. There were times when Jesus was confused. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There were times when he felt isolated, separated from God. The weight of all of the sin was placed upon him. So when you feel guilty, when I feel guilty, there's times when I have said things, I've done things, I've thought things, and the farthest place I want to be, I just, I want to be away from God. I want to run from him at times. Sometimes I don't want to be around God's people. I don't want to go to church. I, I, I want to be numb. And it's not that I'm intentionally saying, God, I don't want anything to do with you. But the devil comes in and this sense of condemnation comes over us at times. And it causes us to run away from God. Now, honestly, without a show of hands, you know, I'm just asking this as a rhetorical question. How many of you have felt that way? when you've wanted to run away from God because you felt so guilty. You wanted to get far away from God because you knew what you were supposed to do and you didn't do it, or you knew something was wrong and you did it anyway. You hurt someone, you, you lied, you uh, lusted, you coveted, you, you, you did something that you knew in your heart was wrong and you did it anyway. And I wanna share with you that Jesus came into our world to take our sin upon himself. And if you feel like God doesn't understand what you're going through, realize this, Jesus felt all of that and more. The weight of sin, the weight of condemnation was placed on him. It says in verse 14 of John chapter one, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. The word glory is the word kabod. It's the weight of God. Um, there are, are times as a as a worshiper of God, as a follower of Christ, that I have sensed God's presence where it, it's, it's heavy. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but if you have been a Christian, you've followed Christ, there have been times in prayer on your own, maybe in a prayer meeting, maybe at a, at a worship service, but but you felt the glory of God just heavy upon you, not in a bad way, but in a way that is overwhelming. When you read about Isaiah, the prophet, really uh, a follower of God, wanting to do what's right, Um, the writer uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit of uh, the book of Isaiah, when he saw God in his glory, what did he do? He fell on his face. He said, woe is me. For I am, a man, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell with people of unclean lips. In other words, when he saw himself not compared to other people, but he saw himself compared to God, he fell on his face because the glory of God was so great. When we read about John, who is uh, one of Jesus' closest friends, John the Apostle, who is the human author of the book of John inspired by the Holy Spirit, he also wrote the book of Revelation. And when you see this scene in heaven, and God gives John a glimpse of what heaven is like, he falls, before his, he falls on his face in worship. And I think that it's important to understand that the glory of God is not something that we should ever think of as comparing ourselves to others, but looking at who God is. Um, yesterday, I took uh, my son, Josiah, we went out to... Um, uh, Club One or Club Active, they have a gym there. So we were playing basketball just for a, a little while. We only had a, a few minutes to play, but we are playing basketball. And um, you know, I had the ball, and I told him, you know, I'm going to predict the score of this game. And I told him that I was going to. We we're going up to 15 by ones, and I said uh, 15 to 15 to four. Uh, I'm going to beat you 15. And I'm just talking trash. You know, I'm just messing around with him. And and I get the ball, and I'm saying, do you want me to drive left or, or right? You know, just tell me, and he goes, I don't know, pick which way. And so he's playing me on defense, and, you know, I'm just I'm just kind of having fun with him. And he's having an off game, and I'm, I'm just kind of hot, and I'm making all the shots, and, and everything is falling. And if I compare myself to my son, who is in seventh grade, you know, I realize that in seventh grade, he probably would have beaten me when I was in seventh grade. But here I am, you know, I have some savvy, and I, I've played basketball. I kind of know some angles and things like that. But if I were to play basketball against Kobe Bryant, you know, I'm playing basketball or LeBron James and I'm there on the court and all of a sudden he walks onto the court, he makes me feel like a little third grader. He's slam dunking on me. He's he's jumping over me. He's making me feel foolish. And see, it's so important that when we consider righteousness and glory that we don't look at ourselves and we don't think of the glory of God as just a glorified person. We don't think of God as just, even though he came in the form of a man, he is not to be confused with the glory that an NBA player or a president or a, a, a singer or an actor would receive a, an award and that kind of glory. And we just go, wow, and standing ovation. No, when we see God in his glory, we fall on our face and we are undone. Our knees are knocking and we have no breath left in us and, and we, we feel so unworthy. And yet the glory of God came in the form of a man because with skin on, with flesh and blood, God came so that we could see what he's like. In fact, when we think of the glory of God, it says that he's full of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. There are times when the world looks at Christians um, and Christians sometimes can look at the world as though Like we're righteous and we got it all together and and people that don't have Christ don't and and sometimes in arrogance. Um, You know, there's a a, a church and I can't even remember the name of the church, but the guy he's been on TV um, recently in the last couple of years. Um, He's the guy that uh, was burning a Koran on on television. Did you guys hear about that guy? He's burning a Koran. He, he, um, you know, this church is just prominent because they, they're, they're holding themselves up as like judges of everyone in the world. And while I, I believe that the Koran is um, really deceptive and while I, I believe that it's a lie that leads people astray, the way that we reach out to people, it's very important because it's not only that we have truth, Jesus was full of grace and truth. And I want you to see that it's not grace or truth because there are other Christians that it's just grace. Let's do whatever you want, love people just as they are and let them continue in whatever it is they're doing because really God is such a God of grace that he's not going to call any of us to accountability. And he's not going to judge us for our rebellion towards him and all of these wrong things that we've done. And they only see Jesus and they only see God as a God of grace. And on the other side, there's people that only see God as a God of truth. But yet Jesus came in the incarnation And the glory of God was seen in Christ as Jesus being full of grace and truth. I want you to see that as we continue to read this, it says in verse 15, and John bore witness of him. He cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Consider Jesus full of grace and truth. Remember that John right here is writing, and he says that the law was given through Moses, and yet grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Think of the law versus grace, okay? The law and and grace. And by law, I mean the legal religious requirements um, in order to be considered righteous in God's eyes. And grace is where we realize we fall short and we can't do it. And God um, sees us through grace because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Now, I want you to compare these in your mind for a second. Law and grace. The first way I want to compare them is rules versus relationship. Rules versus relationship. Um, When Deanna and I were first dating, um, there were times when, uh, you know, I was, I I don't know what the word is, um, just people would ask, hey, uh, is she your girlfriend? And I didn't know because in my mind, I was so freaked out. And I know a lot of you ladies can relate and you're like, I hate you because you're just like so-and-so that I'm sitting next or, you know, this person that I know, you know, you, you have that in your mind. And I was that young man. I I didn't know. And I went to our youth pastor, you know, I was uh, working with the youth group at the time and helping out and, and uh, he said, so is she your girlfriend? And I said, well, you know, kinda, he goes, kinda, he goes, kind of is like kind of dead and kind of pregnant. You either are or you aren't. You know, it's not, there is no kind of. And he kind of like put me on the spot with that. And so, um, you know, over the course of time when I realized, okay, she's my girlfriend and Deanna was my girlfriend at that time. But there were times that I would just get kind of uncomfortable with that. And in my fear of that commitment and that fear of saying I'm all in, it, it's almost like I had these rules. And I remember this conversation that she had with me and she said Matt I just don't know the rules what are the rules when can I hold your hand when can I not hold your hand when are you going to call me your girlfriend or not call me your girlfriend you know when are you going to introduce me in this way or that way and she was just trying to figure out what the rules were because I didn't give her enough security in that relationship where she understood her place now Obviously, 23 years later, she understands where her her place now, you know, I, I got to this place where I was committed and I said, you know, I want to build this relationship towards marriage. And eventually we were engaged and and now it's, it's not so much of the rules as it is relationship. And I think it's important when we see grace and law, I think there are, are many people that are trying to follow Christ that are thinking, what are the rules? What can I do? and not do, and still be considered your child? What, what can I get away with? Um, what can I participate in? What, what ratings of movies can I watch? What types of things can I drink or eat? What kind of people can I... And, and it's almost like we're looking for rules to find our place, and once we find the rules, then everything is set. But then we get into another situation where the rule kind of doesn't apply to that, and we get confused, And I want you to see the difference between law and grace in this way, rules versus relationship. When we understand that the requirements of the law were satisfied because Jesus lived that life that we couldn't live. And he said, let me do it for you and I'll satisfy those requirements. And if you receive my grace, then you could have this standing with God. You could have this relationship with God in which you try to follow him because you love him and you're thankful, but not so that you could earn his approval. See, that's the difference between law and grace, rules versus relationship. Let me think of it another way. It's works versus faith. Works versus faith. Sometimes people think, if I'm just good enough, then I'll make it to heaven. And that kind of weight is a weight that I hear from people that have been raised in church I hear that from people of other religions. I even hear that with people that don't even believe necessarily in God. They're not quite sure, but they say things like this. You know, I think I've done a pretty good job and, and my, my good is better than my bad. Or, or maybe if I do something spectacular. And I think that sometimes even Christians can start to live life of works versus faith. What do I mean by that? When you're in your... I'm going to speak some Christianese for some of you that um, haven't been Christians or haven't been followers of Christ. Uh, When you have your devotions, and what that is, is like you set time apart, you open up your Bible, you read it, then you pray, you talk to God. Uh, It's also called quiet time. And if I've had a string of successful quiet times gone a week, maybe I've gone a month or I've gone some time, then you could easily start to feel like, you know what, I'm doing pretty well, so God's probably going to bless me because I've been checking it off on my daily Bible reading plan, and since I'm doing so well, I probably will get that thing that I've been praying for, I've been asking God for, and subtly into our walk with God, we have this relationship with God that's kind of built on unworks conversely if we haven't been doing well we've been struggling with a sinful pattern um, a habit an addiction a a thought pattern and we've been struggling with this for a while we start feeling like i really can't ask god for anything because i haven't earned it so i can't ask god for help in this thing that I'm going through, my sickness, this relationship, this financial difficulty, I really can't ask that of him because I've been so, so bad at doing good that I have to do good for a while before I could ask him. And I think that sometimes Christians can subtly start living life thinking about this works-based relationship where if we do enough good things, then God blesses us or then God is... Um, he's obligated to bless us because I've been doing so good. Let me think of um, law versus grace in one other way. Pride versus humility. Pride versus humility. In pride, so many people are so many people are hindered from coming to God because the requirement is that we humble ourselves. Hey, if it means I have to walk on hot coals, I have to drag a a big heavy load on my back, if I have to be beaten, if I have to give money, if I have to do these things, I'll do it. But just don't make me say, forgive me for my sin and I need you and humble myself. Because I'm a self-made man. You know, there's this song, um, Invictus that uh frank sinatra used to sing it's a great song It's kind of emotional and it's you know where it says uh, it's about I did oh It's based on the poem. It's called I did it my way It's based on the poem invictus, but it basically in the song It's like saying I did it my way and it doesn't matter what people say It doesn't matter what people I did it my way and and I think that sometimes we get that into our minds that I'm gonna make it to heaven Because god's gonna owe it to me Or I'm going to make it my way. It's God as I understand him. And now I become the judge of God by saying, well, I don't believe that God would say this. And I can't believe in a God that would do this. And I don't agree with this. So I am making my designer God, fashioning him, carving him in a sense out of my own personality and what I want God to be. And now I have this little um, pet God that is almost like a genie that responds to me rather than me responding to him. Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. And if you want to know what God is like, what is God like? Then let's consider Christ full of grace and truth, the incarnation taking on flesh to show us this is what God is like. And let's look at a couple of different, a few different accounts of his encounters with people because we could see our stories in their story. We could see our lives in their life. The first person that I want to call as uh, this witness of what Jesus was like in his encounter with him was a woman at a well. Um, Turn with me to John chapter four. I'm going to summarize some things, so I'm going to pull out some verses. Um, We don't have time to go into uh, you know, the whole the whole chapter expositorily. So I'm just going to give you the background. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Now, he left Judea to go to Galilee, and he could have gone around Samaria, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, let me explain that in our country today, if you saw in the news yesterday, there were some police officers that were slain in New York. Um, they were executed. And our country right now is going through um just a divide we are we're struggling through some things and and you have uh people that kind of blow things up on twitter and facebook and 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 even famous people you have athletes you have politicians you have uh singers you have actors that are kind of choosing up sides and and it's kind of dividing a lot of things and then you have some people that are not seeking to choose a side but to choose god's side to say This is what grace is and truth, and this is who God is. He created all people equally, and he wants us to reach out to all people equally and not to show partiality because God doesn't show partiality. Well, this is a backdrop of the Jews and the Samaritans who really had no dealings with each other. There was a race of divide between the Samaritans and the Jews at this point in time. Now, what had happened was, The Samaritans were actually a part of Israel at one point in time. But then in this northern kingdom, they started worshiping their own way. And then uh, the northern Assyrians came and they took over the northern part of Israel. And so they were intermixed and they became this, um, this nationality called the Samaritans. Now, the Jews felt like, hey we're God's people and you guys have rejected God and done things your own way, so we don't want anything to do with you. And there was this divide, but yet Jesus needed to go through Samaria, not because he needed to go through it, but because he needed to go through it, I believe, to meet this woman. Because he knew that he had an appointment. He knew that there was someone that he needed to encounter. He meets this woman in the heat of the day at a well when women usually would get, gather together And they would go to the well for safety and they would get their water in the morning or they would get their water in the evening. But here he is in the middle of the day and the Samaritan woman comes to this well. She comes by herself, um, which kind of reading into a little, little bit, she may not have had a lot of friends. And as you read what has happened, it maybe it's because of her background and her her past. And so. It says, pick up with me in verse seven, a woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, I have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life the woman said to him sir give me this water that i may not thirst nor come here to draw now what jesus does is he points out her need her need is is water her need is to have this water will she where she won't be thirsty again now that's a physical need but it's also an emotional and spiritual need. I believe that God looks to each one of us because we thirst. We look for satisfaction. We look for something that, that brings meaning. As we've talked about um, a couple of weeks ago, how we're living in darkness and Jesus is the light. And, it, and all of the goodness that we see, the lights that you see for Christmas, the songs that we sing, it all points towards that light. And yet sometimes we look for fillers to satisfy C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, if I search this world for something to satisfy me and I cannot find it, the only logical conclusion is that I was made for another world. And see, here's this woman that is coming for a drink and realizes that there's this thirst. And what Jesus does is he points out her need. He shows her her need. This morning, maybe Jesus is pointing out your need. He's showing you a lack He's showing you an area that needs to be filled. So she says, give me this water. Now, if you are in uh, sales, this is known as the close, right? Someone says, well, tell me about your product. Well, my product can help your life and enhance your your future, and, and everything is great when you buy this product. And when the person says, well, how can I get that product? You hand them the pen, you, you push the contract over to them, and you explain that this is where they sign. And yet listen to this. Jesus doesn't tell her right away. He says this. Go call your husband and come here. Hey, why don't you go call your husband and then and then come here? Now here's perfect opportunity. You think about evangelism 101, if someone says, hey, how can I be saved? You just tell them right there, right? And you just pray with them. Uh, My friend Jimmy Z was uh, in downtown Santa Cruz, and he was handing out sandwiches, and he was telling me about it, how um, he's praying for open doors, and this guy comes up to him, and Jimmy hands him a sandwich, and the guy says to him, hey, how can I be saved? And Jimmy goes, well, here's a sandwich, you know, and and, and it, it took him so by surprise and then the guy looked at him. He's like, I don't want a sandwich. I'm asking you, how can I be saved? You know, it, it, it's kind of like here's this opportunity. But Jesus says, Go get your husband. The woman says to him, I, I don't have a husband. Verse 17, Jesus says to her, You have well said you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. For our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah who is called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I want you to notice that when Jesus points out her need, he he shows her that everything that maybe in her life that she has felt like this is gonna bring meaning or peace or security, it's gonna bring safety. Just think of what that was like in in that culture to have had a string of five broken relationships and now the man that she's with is not her husband. And just think about the heartache that this woman has been through. Just think about the broken dreams. Just think about how she's drawing water in the middle of the day alone alone Maybe because the other woman, other women won't even associate with her anymore. Just think of all the rumors that are flowing around about her. And what Jesus does is he deals with this thing in her life. And you know, Jesus is full of grace and truth. He didn't just give her grace and he didn't just give her truth by saying, You know what? You've had all these broken relationships and the guy that you're with right now isn't your husband. You've had five husbands and now you're living with a guy that's not your husband. No, you know what he does? Jesus comes together to show us this is what God is. This is who he is. This is what he's like. He is full of grace and truth and he comes together in the person of Christ. One other group, turn with me to the book of Mark chapter two. In Mark chapter 2, verse 13, I'm going to read this to you um, out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. Um, Just because it's a fresh um, way of looking at this scripture in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So what is God like? Jesus meets a woman at the well. And this is where Jesus eats with quote unquote sinners. It says in Mark chapter 2. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. So here are these crowds. All these people are coming to Jesus and he's teaching them. And it, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, a tax collector's booth... Um, When I picture this in my mind, I I picture Lucy from Charlie Brown. You remember how she has the booth and she has like advice, five cents, you know, and and, uh, Charlie Brown always comes to ask for advice. Well, this is a a, a tax collector's uh, booth, a, a booth that no one wants to go to. Matthew is a Jewish man that is a tax collector for the Roman government. So that when he charges the people a tax, his fee that he collects, he charges them And he skims off the top whatever he wants to skim off the top. So he is looked at as his own countrymen, his own people, as a turncoat. You know, here's a guy that is in the same situation as us, but because he has this cush job with the Romans, he could do what he wants, and he's ripping us off. And so he is just despised. Tax collectors were low-life, despised dregs of their culture and their society. And so... As these crowds were coming to Jesus, I want you to notice this, that Jesus looks to Levi, also named Matthew. Jesus looks to him. I would think that this guy at his tax collector's booth is watching everyone walk by and just feeling like I can't join them. I can't be with them. I can't be near them because of my life, because of my background. And Jesus says to him, follow me. He just tells him, follow me. Just follow me, like, come with me. In other words, it's okay. You could come, you could come too. And Jesus said, uh, follow me. And it says he arose or Levi got up and he followed him. Verse 15, reading out of the NLT, it says later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, disreputable sinners. So Jesus is, is there. There's tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Um, you know, I don't know what qualifies as notorious sinner, um, but these are notorious sinners. They are known for their sin. So there's not just one tax collector. And, and you know that that if you have struggled with a certain sin, then um, you know how they sort of birds of a feather flock together? There's times when you could be around other people that are in like circumstances as you because you don't feel out of place. You don't feel condemned. And you definitely don't feel like you are ostracized because the religious community and what people think of the religious community of people that worship Jesus on a Sunday morning and go to church, that they could never come here, but they're out there in other places at times. And I want you to notice That Jesus doesn't just give the invitation to come, that Jesus goes to them. Jesus goes to them. When when you just talk to people, it it is so important to see people not as exterior and what they look like and what their background and reputation is, but to ask the Lord to help us to see people as they are beyond the exterior to just treat people as people. And it's one of the problems in our nation today. It's one of the problems of you know one side and another side and, and different people packaging each other in, in certain ways in their minds. Um, I, we went to the uh, Lecrae's concert and, and it was called the Anomaly Tour. And I love that it's called Anomaly because Lecrae is an evangelical Christian that's also a rapper that uh, is a part of a a faith community, but he's in secular places and his album hit number one on Billboard and he's on, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and he's on Tonight Show and he's all these places and he's kind of like right in that place where he's just an anomaly. He is just like, he embodies something that it causes people to go, whoa, uh, it doesn't compute because he seems to break the mold. And I want you to see that Jesus comes to these people where they are and he goes to them now it it is important that we invite people to come come and worship come and be a part of a community come come and listen to the word come in and be a part of people that that have this hope and we have this common bond and we gather together but there are going to be people that will never come here and because there are people that will never come here It is important that we go to them. And sometimes Christians can be isolationists and insolationalists, so much so that we don't have friends that are not followers of Christ. And we don't know who to invite because we don't know any non-believers or non-followers of Christ. And that is a red flag because Jesus has called us to go into the world, not to be of the world, Jesus is meeting with them. He's with them at this, at this party that Matthew is throwing at his house. In verse 16, notice how the religious community deals with this. But when the teachers of the religious law, who are Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Again, New Living Translation. But they're r- uh, paraphrasing, reading into it a little bit. But they looked at these people that Jesus was eating with, with indignation. Do you look at people in that way? Do you look at different people, different walks of life, live in different areas, gather in different places, have different social gatherings than, than you, and look at them as kind of low life, It's kind of unworthy, kind of the bad people? And if you do then realize that today Jesus wants to take the blinders off to realize we're all, in a sense, sinners and bad people. Now, I understand what what you mean, and and I understand when people say, he's a good man. Yeah, there's a lot of good people compared to other people, but not a lot of good, glorious people compared to God's glory. None. One, Jesus, and that was it. So Jesus came to, um, to be with them, to... Not sin with them, but to love them and to eat with them and to talk with them and to look them in the eye and to learn their names and to feel comfortable in their home even if other people are talking about him within the religious community. And I want you to see that he does this in a way that religious people don't like what Jesus is doing because it's wrecking. It's absolutely wrecking their lives. It's wrecking their paradigm. I prayed this morning that Jesus wrecks our paradigm if our paradigm is us versus them. If our paradigm is we're righteous and they're not. If our paradigm is that, you know what? Those people are worse sinners than we are because we're all sinners that are only saved by grace. And Jesus, in verse 17, says to them, again, in the NLT, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. In the New King James, it says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So... Sometimes what we could do, and sometimes I see Christians do this, um, certain uh, groups of Christians, certain um, little branches or sects of Christians have, have a little bit different viewpoints in regards to some of the non-essential areas of Christianity. And, and what they do is they're looking to convert other Christians to their way of thinking. And that's, that's their form of evangelism. Instead of going to people who know that they're sinners and know that they are far from God and telling them about the hope and grace that God gives to every person. And that you don't have to clean your life up first and get your act together and then come, but just come as you are. In fact, Jesus comes to you. And they're not going to know unless someone goes and tells them. This is in Romans chapter 10. They're not going to, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but they're not going to hear the word of God unless there's a messenger to give the word of God to them. And while internet is great and radio waves are great and airwaves are great, it's not enough because Jesus could have, he could have um, broadcasted the gospel from heaven and it would have been clear, more clear than you or I stumbling over our words, It would have been bold, much more bold than you or I if it were written in the skies and proclaimed by angels. The gospel could have been uh, much more visible if everywhere there's these stars that are, you know, these shooting stars and all these incredible weird things happening in the sky and then all of a sudden this voice in every language that every person can understand and then God speaking to the world, that would have been so much clearer. But you know what he chose to do? He chose to come in the form of a baby that grew up to be a man to deal with us, to say, I know what you're going through. I can relate to you. And you know what he calls us to do? He calls us to do the same. He calls us to go to them. I encourage you to look back at your friends. If you have been a follower of Christ for a number of years and look at some of your friends that you have lost contact with and try to contact with them and just get together with them to let them know that you love them. Just let them know that you love them and allow the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts to open up conversations because you're showing them that you love them, because you're showing them that, that you care. Now, I want to close with this. Jesus meets a woman at the well, full of grace and truth. Go get your husband. I need to deal with, you need to deal with this area of your life. With Matthew, the tax collector, and these other notorious sinners, he eats with them. But notice that Jesus always tells the truth. When Jesus tells the truth, um, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read this to you out of John chapter 8. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And in John eight thirty two, he said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we'll become free? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now remember this, that when Jesus dealt with sin and he dealt with the things that we go through, he never compromised it and he never, he never softened the truth because he was afraid of a, a person's response. There were times when he would confront someone and they would walk away angry or they would walk away grieved. There were other times when they humbled themselves and they wept and he received them. And this morning, as Jesus tells us the truth, he not only came full of grace and truth in what he said, but he proved it by dying for us. You know, you could question someone's integrity and their sincerity. Uh, You could question my integrity. You could question my sincerity. I haven't died for you. So I could say that I loved you. I haven't demonstrated me dying for you, but God has. And you know what? When you come into a person's life and you tell them that God loves them and you do too, they're gonna wanna see something in your life that says this, You know, you've heard that uh, expression before. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And caring enough opens up the door for them to want to know what you know. They ask why. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times when you're off the cuff sharing the gospel with someone at a grocery store or on an airplane or someone that you just meet and God opens that door. By all means, walk through it when God opens the door. (laughs) By all means, knock and see if God is opening that door. But... God comes in relationship and God wants us to come in relationship and when Jesus died for us remember that in John chapter 3 it says for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved for God so loved the world the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever whosoever what does that mean whosoever it means anyone whoever would hear whoever would respond whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life that gospel is given the invitation is to everyone it's not a closed party it's an open invitation but the invitation is only received by someone that says i'm going to take you up on this i'm going to take you up on this because i believe that it's not too good to be true because jesus demonstrated he died for our sins And so as we close in worship, how will you respond this morning? Herod wanted to kill Jesus because he was a threat to the throne. Sometimes when Jesus is a threat to my throne, we could easily say, I I don't want anything to do with him. The religious people, they rejected him because they had this pride that said, we're good enough and we don't need a handout. We're gonna earn it. But Levi And the woman at the well, they knew that they were sinners. They knew that they were separated from God. And they responded by following and receiving that gift. They received um, the Messiah. They received the Christ, the Savior. Finally, God wants us to respond in this way as well. In the incarnation, he wants us to live out the gospel and share the gospel with others. And so as I have the worship team come up to lead us in this time of worship, um, this Christmas season, don't look for December 25th to be the magic that solves all of my woes and everything of mankind because of this special day. No, the day is only special because it's a shadow that points to Jesus. And the, the advent, the coming of the Christ is special to us. Because not only did Jesus come to die for our sins, but when he rose again, it was a guarantee when he said, I'm coming back. And I will come again in a second advent, in a second coming. And so this morning, I would just ask that you would respond to the Lord in worship. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna lead out in a prayer. And if you would like to receive that gift, if you would like to say, Jesus, forgive me, come into my life and I receive that gift and I receive it humbly. I'm not perfect. I never will be perfect, but I need your grace. Jesus, thank you. This is your opportunity. So let's have the worship team come up, and uh, we are going to sing, and then after we uh, sing, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And if you would like to pray this prayer to receive Christ, then let today be that day of salvation. Don't wait till January 1st, 2015. I'm gonna turn over a new leaf, New Year's resolution. I'm gonna get spiritual. no. Today is the day of salvation. And also respond in this way. Ask the Lord, if you already know him, to use you to live out that gospel in other people's lives, to love them and open up your mouth to be able to share with them the love of Christ. So let's worship the Lord together. Lord, thank you for this time. As we worship you, we thank you that, Lord, this is more than just a a holiday season Um God, I love a lot of these things that are associated with Christmas. I love the lights. Lord, I I love uh, the smell of a fresh cut Christmas tree in our house. I love the fact that Deanna and I were married so close to this day. But yet, Lord, I know that the magic is not a day. It's not um it's not something that because of this day everything is good. Lord, it's because you came. And Jesus, I pray that we would respond to you as we sing, as we worship, that God, you would draw us by your Holy Spirit. That God, in the same way that you pointed out to the woman at the well, that there's this living water that she would not thirst. That Lord, you would point out in our hearts if we have areas where you wanna quench that thirst. And Lord, maybe we've been quenching that thirst with things that don't satisfy, things that won't last. I pray that today we would come to that truth because, Lord, we know that with you there's not neutrality. You call us to receive or to reject. And so, Lord, may your Holy Spirit draw us. In Jesus' name, amen.